We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions, or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. Good morning. Bonjour. <laughs> okay, um, so today we're going to take a little bit different tact. Instead of it being a direct question, it's just very common that we'll get questions that come in or comments made, and sometimes they're related to words and sometimes misunderstandings of words. Yeah. And in the Church of Christ, tip, you know, we'll speak to our own uh, backgrounds, there's a lot of words that are scriptural to use, but either they're taboo or we've just avoided them because of misunderstandings. Right. Um, so what we're going to do is Dan's got a list, and we're going to go through some of these taboo words in the church. Okay, first let's talk about catechism. Ooh. Let's go to Galatians 6. Okay. Verse 6. Should we tell them what a catechism is? We're going to, but first we're going to read Galatians 6, <laughs> verse okay. 6. Galatians 6, 6 says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, one who is taught the word is ho catechumenos. Okay. And the one who teaches is... Uh, the same in the active, so katekeo, from okay. which we get catechism, catechism, means to instruct or to teach. All right. So there it talks about the catechism that is supposed to go on hmm. in God's churches. We're supposed to have catechism all the time, which means teaching or instruction ah. from the Word of God. So that's where we're comfortable just saying... You should be teaching people. Yeah, but we don't want to use the original word, which is actually in the Greek New Testament hmm. several times, and it just means to instruct, or twice in that verse anyway, to, does, to instruct. Does it mean a specific form of teaching? No, it, like it's talking about good biblical gospel instruction that is from God, that comes from God's Word, hmm. and not something that's been twisted or perverted. Now, the problem is that many groups do catechism and they're strictly teaching or instructing in the traditions of men that arose after the time of the, of the New Testament. So but, it's still a catechism, but it's not necessarily Bible. It's more traditional based on whatever organization religiously right. they're in. So we should be having catechism every week at church, plus other times in our okay. own homes, that meaning teaching people the Bible. Yeah, so we don't necessarily mean when you say we should have catechism, that we should go out and get this specific catechism that we could buy on a bookshelf or something sort of idea. Now that's a, that's, say that catechism has come to mean instruction by a particular religious group, and it just simply means instruction in the Bible, biblical instruction. So okay. let's don't let them have that in the sense that we can't use the word. It's a good word. We just yeah. need to use it correctly. Okay. And that's going to be a theme we get a lot is 
it's a good word and don't be afraid of the word. Just know its proper context and meaning. Well, we used to say, let's call Bible things by Bible names. Yes, I remember that. But now we're afraid to do that because some Bible names have been co-opted by other people who misuse them. But so instead of just giving up the Bible name, let's use it correctly. Fair enough. Okay, so that's a catechism. And then, as with any of these, if you have questions or comments about them or uses or where they may crop up, by all means, leave them in the comments like always. The second one is Eucharist. A lot of people talk about the Eucharist, and we just kind of go, oh, that sounds real high churchy, and we don't say that. Yeah, that's what other denominations and things do. Yeah. We do the Lord's Supper. Yeah, but in 1 Corinthians 14, 16, Mm -hmm. he says, Okay. If you bless with the Spirit, how shall he that fills the place of the unlearned uh, say the amen at your Eucharistia, your giving of Mm. thanks? So the giving of thanks at the Lord's table was Mm -hmm. called Eucharistia. And in the the Gospels, when Jesus took the bread and gave thanks, Mm -hmm. that's Eucharisteo. And so Eucharistia, Eucharisteo, is the original language for the giving of thanks at the Lord's table or the giving of thanks Mm. anywhere. So we really do believe in Eucharist, in the giving of thanks. And the real Eucharist is not Turkey Day in November, the Thanksgiving there. The real Eucharist, the real Thanksgiving is the Lord's Supper when we Mm. give thanks to the Lord for all the wonderful things he's done in Christ and the giving of his son on the cross and his love and grace and his blood cleansing us and all that. So Eucharist is a good word. Yeah. So it's just simply the taking part in this Thanksgiving meal. It's the giving of thanks that occurs. But it doesn't particularly at the Lord's Supper, but other times as well. Yeah, and it doesn't involve some other teaching related to the body becomes real or it all these other things to that do with transubstantiation or you know changing the bread into the literal quivering live flesh of Christ. It doesn't mm. do that. Okay, that's not in the word. Eucharist. Not at all. It just means to give thanks. Okay. All right. What's number three? Third is cathedra. Like a cathedral? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And let's look at Matthew 23, verse 1 and 2. Matthew 23, Matthew 23. verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> okay. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not what they do. But not what they do, sorry. Uh, for they preach, but do not practice. All right, so if you'll look at that first one, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Right. The seat is the cathedra, the teaching mm-hmm. chair. Yeah. And sometimes I sit on a chair to teach, and I'm actually sitting in a cathedra right here. Mm. It's not just a chair. The cathedra was the teacher's chair. Okay. And, you know, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Mm -hmm. Gamaliel sat in the cathedra and taught Paul. So it's the place that the teacher occupies when he is Mm. teaching. It's the cathedra. And later on, if the cathedra was in some kind of a building... Mm-hmm. They would call that cathedra the cathedral. Yeah. See, because it, it was, housed the teaching chair. Yeah, it was the center of teaching for a particular area. Yeah. And back then, of course, in the New Testament, anyone who was a 
teacher of the of the gospel or the word of God could occupy the cathedra, the teacher's chair. Mm. But uh, it came to be that only a certain select few that had a title of bishop or something could sit in the cathedra. See, yeah. So it it came to have a a more restricted sense that it did in the New Testament. But it's a good word. It just yeah. means the teaching chair. So it's not a specific like. If I walked into a congregation today and they were to say, this is our cathedral, like, because it's the one specific chair that the preacher sits in or something. It's sort of like a pulpit. This is our pulpit. You know, we've got mm. one specific pulpit. Yeah. And, but we've got a, a pulpit over there that's sort of a <laughs> lesser pulpit. You know, we've all got our traditions, but it just means the place where the teacher sat when he was teaching. Mm. So it, it's not inherently holy and set apart? No, it's not this golden crusted jewel bejeweled throne that some high church mm. official sits on it's just a chair that the teacher sat on while he was teaching yeah so it may be one of those it's probably not i guess i would say it's probably the least practical of the words so far as far as you're probably not going to hear it said so often no but it's not a bad word if you know where it came from okay matthew 23 verse 1 fair enough our next one is ecumenical ecumenical and people have talked about the ecumenical movement today oh, yeah. which means like everybody's one big happy family it doesn't matter what doctrine you teach we're all just one we are it's, the world it's a movement we for, are the children <laughs> it's a movement for christian unity yeah but it's christendom without doctrinal content everybody just mm -hmm. saying it doesn't matter what you think or believe or accept morally we just we're all one yeah. let's sing kumbaya together and take the lord's supper together I, I've read, well, without going too deep, I've read this as kind of a basis for your theological bent on what's the purpose of the church. Is it to bring ecumenical unity, and that's how we accomplish Christ's work and things yeah. like that? But in the New Testament, it's a good word. Okay. But in Romans ten eighteen, it's talking about whether the gospel has, has been heard by the Israelites and everything, and it says, yes, it's gone to the whole earth. Mm. Their voice is rung out to the whole earth, the whole world, mm -hmm. and that's oikumene. Okay. So oikumene, ecumenical, means to the whole world. Okay. See? And in Hebrews 1, 6, mm -hmm. it says, talking about Jesus, it says, when the firstborn, which is Jesus, came into the world, oikumene, mm -hmm. So oikumene meant, means the whole inhabited earth. See, he okay. came into the world. Well, so ecumenical means all over the world. So I guess the mission of the church is It's to go ecumenical. into all of the world. We have an ecumenical mission, meaning yeah. go into all the world gotcha. and to reach out to the whole world with the gospel. But ecumenical does not mean include everybody regardless of teaching or doctrine or practice mm. in the fellowship of God, which is directly in contradiction with what Jesus would say. See, hmm. So ecumenical is a good word. It's just used in the wrong way. Okay. So again, another one of those, the word isn't bad. You may hear it used and just kind of check what they mean by that word. Right. It means in the whole world. Okay. All right. Rapture. Oh, now this is a good the one. Rapture. Now this is one we do get questions about quite often. Now, it comes from a word that we find several times in the, in the New Testament. Once is 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. 
not where I was expecting to go. First Thessalonians four seventeen. Oh, it's about yeah. the second coming of Christ. Okay. First Thessalonians, say it again. Four seventeen four. BC. What does it say? It says, "Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Caught up. Mm -hmm. um, it comes from the word. Um, which is spelled in Greek H-A-R-P-A-Z-O or I-Z-O. Har harpazo or har harpagmos is the noun. And you have the R and the P. So we, people have tried to anglicize it in the rapture, you know, the rapture. Oh, man. It means to be, if, it means to be like grabbed or snatched or just picked up suddenly. Okay. Um, in John 10, verse 12, mm -hmm. it says the wolf comes and he, harpazo, he snatches the sheep. Mm. He grabs them real quick and drags them off. See? Yeah. And someday Christ is going to come and, and take us up. He's going to snatch us off the earth and take us up into the clouds. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 10 yeah. uses the noun form talking about thieves or extortioners who grab something that belongs to somebody else and run off with it. You know, mm, they, yeah. They're thieves. So a lot of times, you know, you'd have a purse snatcher or something come up and snatch your purse. Hmm. Or somebody gets into somebody else's till and snatches out some money. Okay. So it came to be, you know, a term used for thieves or stuff or things like that. Yeah. But the rapture is just when God takes us and takes us up, hmm. You know, and <clears throat> you probably will find this in, in the Old Testament, too, with regards to prophets who were taken up and put down hmm. somewhere else. But um, it's a good word. Okay. And when Jesus comes again at the at the last day, there are a number of people who are alive that are going to be caught up hmm. to meet the resurrected dead yeah. in the air, you know. And it's a good word. We believe in the rapture, but hmm. not the pre-millennial rapture and some of the stuff. and The rapture is a good term. It's just misused and misapplied by some people. Okay. It's, so, it's kind of, it's not a very good pronunciation of the Greek word, but it, it comes from a good word in the New Testament. Yeah. And so it's one that it's tied to the second coming of Christ. Absolutely. But it's not necessarily the way that we typically hear it in that it's a separate event. <clears throat> from kind of the final moments of this world or whatever. Right. It actually is the final second coming of Christ that we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And, and so, you know. Now, you mentioned another word in there when you said about millennial. Yeah, and we're not going to really... The word millennium is a good word. It comes from um, Revelation chapter 20, it's a, it's the Greek word, which means the thousand years that yeah. are portrayed there. Which having just passed over the year 2000 recently, people became more familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, the new millennium. Yeah. Yeah. But each, each thousand years is a millennium, but the millennium not to be taken literally in Revelation is the period after the great Roman persecution of Christians and before the end of time and the second coming of Christ. And so it's a it's a term that which would need a lot more discussion, but that also is a good biblical term. Okay. So what do you got next? Predestination or predestined. Oh man. Um, in Ephesians one five, read that. Okay. And Ladies your Bibles out there may say predestined or it may say foreordained. Okay. Ephesians one five. One five. 
That's not the only place. Yeah. One five said he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. All right. Predestination is God's preordained plan. Mm -hmm. And it is that which is set in place by God's unequivocal promises, like the promise to Abraham. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Yeah. And basically you could boil it down to... Uh, in the seed of Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Right. Paul says that means in Christ, all nations will be blessed. That that plan of God is predestined. That is predestination. Yeah. And this comes with another good biblical word, um, election. Okay. Election. And I fit just I'll mention. I think we've done a longer video on predestination. And we mentioned a little bit about, about election in a video on the tulip here recently. All right, which yeah. is good because both of these terms are kind of taboo for people in churches of Christ, but they shouldn't be because we should understand that the plan of God in Christ is predestined. We can't change that. It's going to happen. Those in Christ are the ones that are going to be blessed and be saved. Mm -hmm. But election is another related word. Um, eklegkos, election, it means the chosen ones. Okay. And if you look at that same passage in Ephesians, mm -hmm. uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 together. Yeah, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, so the purpose of his will was that in Christ all should be blessed, okay? Mm -hmm. He chose that those in Christ would be holy and blameless. He chose that those in Christ would be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Yeah. That's the plan that's predestined. Hmm. But many people with a Calvinistic background misuse these words and say that God chose Jed to be a, among the saved and he chose Dan to be on the ones outside. And so hmm. it was not our choice that we accept right. God, but it was God's choice and God can never be wrong. And all that stuff, but that's not in the Word, but the words are good words. And they're all throughout the Bible. They're but throughout the Bible. Especially when you're reading passages like Ephesians where it talks about His plan and the way it's going, you're yes. going to find them crop up a lot more. And the long and the short of predestination and election, by the way, in uh, Romans 11 and verse 5, it's called the election of grace. Mm. And the election of grace is those in Christ, that's where God will show his grace, whether they're of the people of Israel or Gentiles in Romans 11, mm -hmm. they will be uh, included in the election of grace if they are in Christ, because God said it's in Christ that all nations will be blessed. Yeah. Okay, so predestination and election. How okay. about ordination or ordained ministry? Yeah, so this is a question I get all the time is, well, have you been ordained? You know, especially in the Church of Christ, I'll say something about, well, I'm a worship and children's minister, and they're saying, oh, well, where were you ordained? Yeah, ordained is a word that comes from both Old and New Testament that sometimes is translated uh, ordained, sometimes consecrated, sometimes appointed. Mm -hmm. It's talking about a person being set aside by the religious community to be a servant or a minister in a certain capacity. Mm. And um, most of the times the words, whether Hebrew or Greek, have to do with ordination by laying on of hands. 
Uh, you have Numbers 27, 17 through 21 or 2 that talks about Moses ordaining or consecrating Joshua by laying on of hands right. in front of the uh, people of Israel to set him aside as a as a minister to lead the people in and out so they wouldn't be like a sheep without, without a, shepherd. a shepherd. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the ordination of the priests mm-hmm. in uh, Exodus twenty eight twenty nine uh, in the book of Leviticus eight and nine, the ordination, the consecration of the priests, which included a number of things, but also the laying on of hands. You have uh, the ordination of the ministers or deacons in Acts 6, 6 and following with the laying on of the apostles' hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, Paul and Barnabas ordaining elders in every church in Acts fourteen twenty three. The word kairotoneo means to ordain by the laying on of hands. You have uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 20, something or other, do not lay hands hastily on any man. He was told to appoint elders, you know. Titus was told to ordain elders in every city in Titus 1, 5. So these are, these are words that mean to appoint by the laying on of hands. Hmm. So people were ordained in the New Testament. Um, Timothy seems to have been ordained by the Ephesian elders to be a evangelist in Ephesus for a while. First Timothy four fourteen, I think it is. What do it say? Let's see. First and second Timothy. <laughs> I have too many things and it all gets tied in here. All right. First Timothy, where were we? Four fourteen. Four fourteen. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. All right. So probably, you know, this is a passage that's worth more discussion. Second hmm. Timothy one six or so. Okay. Uh, do not neglect the gift which is in you by the laying on of my hands. Is that the right place? Yeah. I remind you to fan into flame the gift <clears throat> of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. All right. So Paul put his hands on Timothy and gave him the spiritual gift probably of prophecy or something like that. But that's dia, which means by the instrumentation of the laying on of Paul's hands. First Timothy 4.14 uses another preposition, meta, hmm. which means along with... So probably when the elders at Ephesus were laying their hands on him to ordain him as a minister, Paul also laid hands on him to to give him or impart to him a spiritual gift. Okay. One was for ordination, the other was for imparting a spiritual gift. Yeah. But that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> Just suffice it to say that the idea of ordination is a biblical word yeah. about spiritual leaders appointing spiritual leaders by the laying on of hands in front of the congregation to to set this person aside for ministry of a certain kind it's mm. a biblical concept so it so like it's you not said licensing yeah it's not <laughs> it's it's not a professional licensure process right it's not a board at a university or seminary right designating who can and can't yep all right so in a local congregation even if they don't call it an ordination service, if like they've hired a new minister, they brought in somebody to do a certain job or task within their congregation, and the elders all say, we want to pray over you 
and they lay hands. That's that's ask blessings that's setting on... this man aside to this ministry which he's accepted. So even and on they... the other hand, okay, it was the evangelists who ordained the elders, the apostles and evangelists ordained hmm. elders, elders ordained evangelists. Yeah. So it wasn't just one group doing all the power transfers. It yeah. was it was kind a of a check mutual and balance thing. That hmm. uh, yeah. So anyway. so even if you don't call it ordination, that's a, that's what's happening right there. Call it consecration, ordination, appointment, but it was done by spiritual leaders to officially recognize and pray for those that were being placed in positions of spiritual leadership. Okay. All right. Okay. You got any more on that list? Yeah, pastor. <clears throat> okay. You know, we kind of avoid calling people pastors. We do. We yeah. call them ministers or preachers or... Fine, you know. but why do we choose one biblical term and not other biblical terms? That's now, some people are getting question. their hackles out there, but you can look at Ephesians 4.11, which talks about some of the spiritual gifts which God has given the church. Mm -hmm. Look uh, at 11 and 12. 4.11 <laughs> and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All right, so God gave us pastors, which means shepherds. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> pastor is actually the Latin term. Um, shepherd is the, uh, the poimain is the Greek term, but shepherd, pastor, same, same. It's okay. used of the elders in um, both 1 Peter 5 and... Um, Hold on, Acts 20, verse 28 okay. and following. It's also, and this is going to make some people uncomfortable, it's also, I hate to tell it's you what this. what we look forward to. Here we go. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, with reference to evangelists and preachers. Ooh. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, verse 7, he's verse talking seven. about why we should pay preachers who preach the gospel, D.C. Uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of the fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? All right, and the tending of the flock. Mm-hmm. Is your would word there with shepherding, pastoring. shepherding, pastoring, and he's talking about preaching the gospel, people that ought to get paid. So, <laughs> <clears throat> okay, those that that look after souls, mm. as do leaders, spiritual leaders, elders, preachers. Uh, a biblical concept that is about those people is shepherding, pastoring. Mm. We tend to reserve that term. For yeah. one group of people. Well, and even then, it's something I've seen shift during my lifetime. They were only called elders. And then it <clears> kind <throat> of became okay to start calling them shepherds. Yeah. And every now and again, I might hear them called pastors. You Just know, they're pastoral. Shepherd, pastor, pastor, shepherd. Okay. Yeah, but same, then, same. But then for a preacher or a minister, maybe, maybe this is a good question to tie onto this one because it is very practical and a lot of our audience is very uncomfortable with that. Why has that become such a separation of terms? Probably, A, because certain denominations call preachers pastors, and we don't want to be like them, even if they're using biblical terminology. Which we're seeing with <clears throat> a lot of these terms, yeah. But secondly, because there's a power thing mm. involved there. Now, that's messy and ugly. That's messy, but it is what it is. In the Old Testament, for example, the shepherds of Israel, mm -hmm. in that, that included prophets, priests, 
kings, yeah, village elders, you know, whatever. Like the heads All those of the were shepherds and... of Israel because they were supposed to be spiritual leaders of the people. Yeah, and we've kind of made that where you can only include one type of people in the New Testament time. I don't believe that's mm. legitimate, but it is what it is. So, in other yeah. words, it's a good word. Yeah, and it 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 simply conveys caring for people spiritually like you would care for a flock and both evangelists mm. and elders and teachers and others who really care for the souls of people they are shepherding mm -hmm. people so it, it is what it is so it's a descriptive word that means something so you might have someone who has that term who's not actually shepherding, pastoring, or whatever, and you may have someone who doesn't have that term that actually is shepherding, pastoring. That's very true. Okay. You said it, Jed. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so two more and we're out of here. Okay. The next one is the altar. Okay. I thought we couldn't get any more hot water, but what do we got with the altar? The altar. You know, you've heard of the altar in the church building or the oh, altar, sure. and some people yeah. think it's the table. I mean, the down front where people respond to an altar call or oh, something yeah. like that. I mean, that. I've been in lots of places where that's like the central item that it's passed down for years and years. Yeah, and the it has altar, all this meaning blah, blah, and, blah. Yeah. But actually in the Bible, the altar is a killing place. It's a place where things were killed Yeah. and blood was poured out and sacrifices were made. Mm -hmm. Now, the New Testament uses altar with representation with uh, rep, uh, reference to Christians. If you go to Hebrews 13.10. Okay. Hebrews 13.10. I should have guessed if we're going to talk about something dealing with Old Testament tied to the New, we'd be in Hebrews 13.10. Is that what you said? Yep. All right. The New and the Old is concealed. The Old and the New is revealed. Let's read Hebrews 13.10. It says, we have an altar from which those who... We have a what now? We have an altar in, in today from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. All right, so we have an altar from which we eat, which those who serve the tabernacle, the priests of Israel, don't have any right to eat. Their sacrifices were those animals that were brought by the people, and both the people mm -hmm. and the priests actually ate part of the sacrifice right. in sacrificial meals. Yep. Our sacrifice is Jesus, mm. and we eat his body and drink his blood in the Lord's Supper. Right. But they have no right to eat from that altar, which is the cross of Christ. But we eat that sacrifice, showing our participation in that mm. sacrificial meal because Christ is our sacrifice. Mm. See, and they don't have a right to eat because they haven't accepted Christ as their sacrifice because they've never been baptized into the death of Christ. Okay. So our altar, our sacrificial part of worship is the Lord's Supper. We have a right to eat, they don't. But now altar's does, a good word. Does that mean that there should be an altar representing that in the no, church building? No, it's a building? spiritual altar. Okay, here's another one. But the eating of the Lord's Supper is the eating of Christ in mm. his body. I've heard that this is the only time I've heard this used, but I heard someone in a Lord's <clears throat> Supper talk once call the cross the altar on I think which... That's, I think that's correct. Okay, so as far as a physical representation where he was killed being a killing place, we that's could use it. that. That's it. Okay. The, the Old Testament word is bamizbah, which means a slaughtering place. Hmm. And the Lamb of God was slaughtered on Golgotha, the cross. Yeah. And then we eat part of that sacrifice and drink in the sacrificial meal on the Lord's Day. Okay. 
So last, it's not that the table up front that says, no, you that's know, and not that, the that's altar. not. Nobody yeah. died there. Gotcha. Okay. And then finally, liturgy, the liturgy. Jed, do you follow the liturgy? All right, so here's the liturgy. <laughs> I like it. I mean, being a worship person, I run yeah. across this terminology a lot. Liturgia means service or ministry, and it often refers, especially in the book of Hebrews, to the priestly service, the priestly ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, in Hebrews 1, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 8, 6. Let's start there, Hebrews 8, huh? 6. It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Okay, Christ has obtained a ministry, but that's not our usual word for ministry. It's liturgia, which is liturgy. It's the priestly ministry. Mm. Christ okay. is our high priest. Yeah. Now the Bible teaches in 1 Peter 2.9 that we're all priests. Mm -hmm. And as priests of God, we have priestly ministry. Right. For example, in that same book of Hebrews, you have Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 maybe. Uh, through him let us continually. Okay. Uh, verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, the only one that could offer up sacrifices was a priest. And we're offering up sacrifices of our praise. And in mm -hmm. verse 16, when we do good and help people, that's a sacrifice mm -hmm. to God. Yeah. So we're, we have a liturgia, a priestly ministry. All right. Now, so as priests of God, when we do things and offer up things to God, we're participating in a liturgy, a priestly ministry. But in yeah. Hebrews 1.13, it says the angels are liturgia. They are mm. priestly ministers in heaven. Okay. See, so there is a liturgy. There is a priestly ministry. But in ancient Christianity, as time went by after the New Testament, right. they took this idea of priests from the Old Testament and they they started talking about what only priests can do. Okay. And as Catholicism developed, only priests could conduct the liturgia, the liturgy. Yeah. Because it was like the the serving of the Lord's Supper, the presiding over the Lord's Supper, yeah. the words that you said. Mm -hmm. So there later came to be an order of service that was only enacted and and done by priests. Mm -hmm that was called the liturgy. Yeah. That's really not the liturgy. That is not the ministry of priests in the New Testament, but it's still a good word. Yeah. So we typically, if you hear the word liturgy, they're meaning on this day, on the 3rd of December, you're going to read from this passage and say this prayer. And say and, these words. And, and sing yeah. these songs. That, that's the liturgy that's for the December That's the order of 3rd. worship, yeah. But it was never biblically used that way. Okay, so it meant something much deeper than even how we typically use it today. Yeah, our actual praise to God on Sunday morning, our actual um, involvement in the sacrificial meal of the Lord's Supper, our actual prayers, which are compared in the New Testament to incense that goes up, mm. those things would be the liturgy, not some rote, put-down standard order of how things... Yeah go about. 
So just because I make an order of worship and I may use it again every year, that does not necessitate it being a liturgy. In no, and of I'd itself. have to hurt you if you started acting like you Don't was the only priest that. or anything oh my like goodness. that. You see what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> okay. Me obey. Okay. So what it, what we're trying to get at is there's a lot of words that we may be afraid of using or don't know how we should use them, or even if they really exist. Yeah, and they're good Bible words. People just use them in the wrong ways a lot of times, so we're afraid of them. We can mm. add to this several others. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they could write in some other ones that they've run yeah, across. Yeah, and, and one of these days I want to do a, a, a section of this on terms we use which are nowhere to be found in the Bible. Ooh. Like, for example, the word providence. And there's a whole bunch of others. Don't give them away. No, but, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about some of those sometimes. Okay. So these were just kind of quick overviews of a lot of these. We didn't dive into every detail. So if you have other questions on some of these terms, or maybe you're like, but wait a minute, what about, or I encountered this. Yeah, don't say bad words, Jed. I but these, planning on it. But these <laughs> words we, are not bad words. Gotcha. They just need to be understood correctly and used correctly and we're not saying so you should start using them in church and like fix everybody's language problems but not not unless they're carefully explained and understood this is not your highest priority it's just that don't don't judge people for the language if it's biblical language let's mm. look at the context and the content of those words gotcha so maybe the way it's being used and who's using it may inform your decision-making, but the word itself is not. Good word. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope this has been um, educational, maybe a little.